it was a depression and a little bit of confusion. And then I thought, well, I'm just going to have to work even harder. I didn't, I didn't think, all right, it's time to switch gears and go another direction or focus on comedy or join the drama club or something. I just spent a longer time in the weight room and ate more hard boiled eggs and was eventually able to kind of build myself up because I had all the technique from all the years of playing Pop Warner football and everything. I, I knew all the technique and I was quick and all that. So kind of built myself up to, you know, being an all Valley football player at some point. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to this story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. All right, you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Adam Carolla. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming. This is going to be fun. You're, you know, the legend of podcasting. So I appreciate you coming on mine. <laughs> so to get started, I just assume, you know, you're born, you're in the delivery room, you grab a mic and start interviewing your mom on birth. Like, how did it all start? Let's take it back to childhood. <laughs> well, I always like uh, communicating. I always had a sense of humor. I, I wasn't able to read or write for you know pretty extended period of my life early on. I wasn't dyslexic or anything. I just I just never really learned to read or, or spell or write. So I did all my communicating verbally. And where did that come from? Was it you just didn't go to school or was it just you your parents weren't teaching like how come you weren't reading and writing? My mom was kind of a hippie mom. It was like the seventies and she thought that, you know, kind of traditional learning, kind of institutional learning was, you know, kind of the man, you know, kind of grafting his ideology upon people. And, you know, it was very like the bell would ring and you'd be tardy and you had to line up and, and all this kind of stuff. And so there was this kind of notion in the seventies and uh, you're a little too young to remember, but there was this kind of like free form, free range, you know, kids learn on their own, let them do what they want to do. You know, kids are, uh, they're like miniature adults, you know, they, they should, they, they should have dominion over what they, what their schedule is and stuff like that. So I went to kind of a free range kind of hippie school at the beginning and I didn't want to read any books or study. I wanted to like throw dirt clods. And so that's what I did. But at a certain point, when that ended, I found myself in a public school in the fifth grade, and I couldn't read or write. Got it. And where were you? Where, where in the country? I was in North Hollywood, California. Sure. You were, got it. Um, I didn't realize you grew up there. So, yeah. So tell me about that. Like, in, was your dad around as well? Or you said mentioned your mom was a hippie. My dad wasn't really a hippie. He was just kind of passive and around and, you know, didn't yeah. say much. And, you know, he wasn't, you know, a gambler or an alcoholic or anything. He's just kind of a dude who sits on a sofa and reads a book all day and he's not really hands-on so he just kind of stayed out of the way and my mom kind of kind of worked the hippie route so i found myself just without any of the basic underpinnings of education that most people had by the time they're in the fifth grade i i didn't you know i didn't know the difference between a vowel and a consonant or conjugating verbs or, or what a yeah. verb was or now I, I didn't know anything but I, I assume because a lot of our obviously languages learned verbally, you, you had a total grasp for the English language. You just didn't know how to explain it on a test, so to speak. Is that fair to say? 
I, I couldn't read it and I couldn't write it and I couldn't do it on a test, but I, I knew how to communicate. I knew how yeah. to exchange ideas. And so you feel because you had a lack of focus on the reading and writing side, did it accelerate and advance your verbal communication? That's where that came from? Yeah, it was probably like people who lose their sight have a better sense of smell. You know, like one yeah. thing kind of goes away and another thing gets kind of heightened, you know. And so for me, yeah. when this thing went away, for instance, you know, I didn't sit around and read comic books or read Lord of the Rings or do any of that. I was sort of concocting things in my own head. So I didn't really have other people's ideas being passed to me. I, w I was like creating my own ideas. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so you go fifth grade, you switch from this, you know, hippie utopia to a normal public school in the LAUSD. How, so you're obviously, as you said, that was hard in terms of not knowing how to read and write. But like, tell me more about that. Like, how was it going into what would probably be a very different experience? I was very ashamed that I didn't know how to spell or, you know, I remember vividly when I was in the fifth grade, could have been in the sixth grade and somebody, uh, you know, the teacher said, you know, Adam, go up to the chalkboard and we're going to get the uh, PE schedule out and just, you know, make go write girls and, and boys up on the on the chalkboard. And I spelt girls G-U-R-L-S because in my world, girl. <laughs> just to you, you know, so I just wrote it. And also I was left-handed. So my hand would smear whatever it is I just wrote. Yeah. And it, it was a mess and it looked like chicken scratch. And, and everyone started laughing at me because I spelled, you know, I was in the sixth grade. I couldn't spell the word girl. So, yeah. um, I, you know, for me, it was like, so what I would do is probably defend myself by making a joke or a wisecrack or something like that. And that's just kind of where it went. I, I kind of realized I don't want to go up to the chalkboard anymore, but I can, I can pop off or make a joke or a snarky right. remark. And I sort of became a defense mechanism, I guess. Got it. And where did you have like thoughts or, I mean, every, I feel like every kid has a sort of, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like as a kid, did you have thoughts about that? Like pre that? transition and did things change like what what were your kind of like dreams as a kid well i was very gifted at sports and sort of all things physical when i was young uh -huh. you know be before puberty i i could do a hundred push-ups and i could just yeah. i had i could ride it i learned to ride a unicycle in a day mm -hmm. essentially and like i had really good balance i had this weird kind of kid strength that was sort of mixed with the balance. And uh, so the only thing I was good at was essentially sports. So I just yeah. kind of threw myself into that as, is the thing I could, I could do. And it was sort of a fantasy escape. You know, one day I'll play professional football and, and leave all this, you know, behind. Yeah. Got it. And so did, how did that last into fifth, sixth, seventh? You said puberty. So seventh, eighth grade, or did that, when did that start to shift? Well, by the time puberty started kicking in for me, I didn't have a great genetic hand. So I didn't really get what some of my friends got. Their dads were, you know, big, strong guys. And all of a sudden yeah. they start getting big and strong. And then all of a sudden the guys I used to, when we were 11, 12, 13, you know, we'd wrestle and I'd just throw them around like rag dolls, you know, like one yeah. of my best, my best friend, I could whip him wrestling so easily that I, our wrestling matches started turning into, I would just let him pin me 
and then just see how long it took for me to throw him off me and pin him. Like it was so easy for me. And then that kid's big, strong dad's genes started to like kick in. And the next thing you know, he's got, you know, veins in his forearms and big biceps and stuff. And so by the time we're 15, he's throwing me around the room and I'm kind of trying to figure out like what's happening. Like what, what, what shifted here? I'm not really thinking about puberty or genetics or anything. It's just all of a sudden the guys I used to whoop on are just whooping on me. Yeah. And so at that point, did your interest start to sway? Did you start to think of like, were you thinking about the future? I'm not saying everybody does. Like, were you thinking about what you wanted to do? At that point, I was like, well, it doesn't seem like this, you know, physical prowess thing is is happening on its own. And so I'm I think I'm going to have to just go into the weight room and and see if I can like outwork these guys. So I started going into the weight room and trying to outwork these guys. But it just it wasn't enough to overcome their sort of natural abilities. My I just had my two best friends were just super kind of freakish phenom kind of big strong dudes and so it was tough because my two closest friends were the guys i was wrestling with and locking antlers with and going out for the football team with and they were just excelling and and i was found myself in the 10th grade just sitting on the bench of the of the b team and i guess how was obviously it's not a fun experience but like where did your did your head go to like i'm still going to work through this or like how did you look at it at that point like once you started to realize like these guys were excelling you even with extra work it wasn't working like were you was it a depression so to speak or was it just like all right well it wasn't the hand i was dealt like how did you kind of take that it it was a depression and a little bit of confusion and then i thought well i'm just gonna have to work even harder i didn't i didn't think all right it's time to switch gears and go another direction or focus on comedy or join the drama club or something i just spent a longer time in the weight room and ate more hard-boiled eggs and was eventually able to kind of build myself up because i had all the technique from all the years of playing pop warner football and everything i i knew all the technique and i was quick and all that so kind of built myself up to you know being an all valley football player at some point amazing so that hard work can pay off it might not get you to the nfl but it got you pretty far away it sounds like and it it got me to an all valley football players status you know with someone that isn't naturally gifted to get to even that level is you know you you put in the work and i'm curious like has that carried with you that like even though like there is an upper limit from natural ability that if you put in the work, you can still elevate yourself quite a bit. Was that like a lesson or was just like, okay, that was cool moving on. Or did you really carry that with you? I I carried it. I I understood that I could get a lot out of myself if I really disciplined myself and pushed hard and kind of was kind of tough on myself and focused and dedicated and, you know, pushing through the pain and, you know, all that stuff. I, I understood it. I also probably understood that there were limits in that department, in that realm, you know, physically, especially, you know, baseball, if I'd applied myself and had the same ethic toward baseball i probably could have continued on at a higher level in baseball but i like football and unfortunately football
ball was just, you know, either either got a low 40 speed or you don't. You can either bench, yeah. you know, 400 pounds or you can't. You know, it's just, it's yeah. really hard to break to the next level. And, and I tried, but the, it just became apparent this wasn't to be. Yeah, got it. And so when did that become apparent? Like, at what point did you go, this is not going to be what I carry on to do? I had some scholarship offers out of high school to go to some fair to Midland programs. You know, we're not talking about USC or Nebraska or anything. We're, right. you know, we're talking about Cal Poly Pomona and UC Davis and Marshall was actually one of the schools and Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, you know, just places, places like that. And I didn't have the grades. I never took the SATs. Like I, I had a very spotty academic record. So I then got sort of recruited from the local junior college to come play at that level with some sort of thought of transferring at some point. And it, I just washed out. Like I, it, I just couldn't cut it at the junior college level. What, what I didn't really realize at the time is the LA Valley junior college had a much better football team than Willamette State did or Lewis and Clark or one of these small one of these small schools that was recruiting me uh LA Valley was just had a lot more talent a lot more players like guys transferring to UCLA and I I was getting my ass kicked and it was then I kind of realized that I I I think I got to give up this dream and so where'd that take you? I'm curious. Like, so you decide you're, you're playing football at junior college and you're like, this isn't working. What did you want to go finish college or did you just go time to find a whole new thing? Cause it sounds like you spent, you know, the near part of a decade really pursuing football. So. Yes. Yeah. I spent a decade pursuing it. It wasn't going to work. I wasn't a good student. You know, my family didn't have money or sort of interest. I was being kind of pressured to, I was living in my dad's garage and being kind of pressured to move out and the economy. You know, when they talk about how bad the economy now, they go, not since 1983 has the economy been so bad. Well, that was 1983. And the only difference between today's economy and that economy, both economies are shit, except for this economy is shit and hiring people. Back then, the economy was shit and nobody was hiring. I I couldn't get a job at a supermarket. I couldn't get a job on a construction site. I, I, I would wander from market to market, like put in an application as for box boy or stalker. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. So I was just sort of sitting around. I was cleaning some cleaning carpets and, you know, making seven bucks an hour or something. It just, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any prospects. I, there was no family business or, you know, if, if my dad had been friends with a guy who owned a restaurant or something, I could have got a job there, but I I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew anybody. And, um, so I got a, I got a call in my garage, you know, one night, one like summer night from a friend of mine named John, who was probably about the same shape I was in. And he said that, you know, he hooked up with this small construction firm and he was just working as he was just doing labor, just, you know, digging ditches and busting out stucco and stuff. And he said, uh, they need someone for a day tomorrow. And, uh, he's just going to be pulling Ivy off the side of a hill house in Silver Lake. And, um, I don't know. They'll, they'll give you 50 bucks for the day. And I was like, Oh, you know, I didn't have a car or anything. And he was like, I'll, I'll pick you up at six 30 and we'll, 
I was like, yeah, okay. And uh, so I just showed up and they told you know, told me, go pull Ivy off the side of the house on the hill and bring it up to the dumpster on the street. I was like, okay. And that's all I did all day. But I, because of my sports background, I was pretty can do. Like, you know, it's not like the boss came around and I was sitting around or drinking off the hose or anything. I, I, I just did it. And, uh, and I guess the boss just sort of saw me kind of hustling all day. And the next day he just said, oh, come tomorrow. I said, okay. I showed up to m- the next day and they handed me a shovel and I was digging footings, you know, and I, I just worked, man. I was a mule, you know, and I didn't, you know, I didn't complain. I didn't go, my back's tired. Or I got to sit down or anything. I just went, give me that shovel. And every yeah. time that guy walked outside, he just saw me digging, you know, and yeah. you know, he said, yeah, all right, well, let's just finish out the week, come out tomorrow, you know? And before you know it, it was this kind of show up Monday and I was kind of on at that point. And then yeah. I had a motorcycle, I think. And he said, uh, you buy a pickup truck. I'll give you another buck an hour. So I found some beat up old Mazda pickup truck and just bought some, you know, some thrasher pickup truck. And then I was in, then that was my, that was my job. Got it. And how long did you do that for? I did a version of that for 12 years. Oh, you did? Wow. Got it. I'm really, it's getting fun because I'm really curious how that went into what you ended up doing. So for 12 years, you're working in some form of, let's say, construction. What what changed 12 years later? Well, nothing really changed 12 years later. I kind of quickly thought to myself, you know, this is the hand you got dealt. So I felt like a guy... I mean, I never really thought about it, but it would have been like someone who was wrongfully accused and given a 10-year sentence in prison and, you know, maybe spent the first two months going, this is bullshit and fighting with guards and arguing with the cellmate and stuff. And then at a certain point, I was like, okay, you're here. You're here for a decade or or more, or maybe you'll get a couple years off for good behavior. But I was like, this is your life. So just kind of become a model prisoner. Like get, get a, get a job in the wood shop and, uh, you know, don't, don't get into hassles with gang members and just keep your head down and, you know, do the time. Don't let the time do you, you know? And, and, and that was kind of my approach. I was like, all right, well, you know, I'd like to get out of the dirt and inside the house and yeah, I see what the Finnish carpenters are doing and that seems kind of interesting, maybe a little creative, you know, has some skill to it. So maybe if I can work my way in the house and, you know, buy myself a, uh, some tools or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew I wasn't going to, you know, go into the I, the professional white collar world. I didn't have any skill set. Wasn't a kind of thing where it was like, well, my, my rich old uncle's going to die soon and leave me his business or something. I, you know, I didn't have a sugar mama or anything like that. So I, you know, each paycheck, you know, I was getting seven, maybe eight, nine bucks an hour. Each paycheck, I'd buy a couple of tools, you know, that I could use and m- would make me a little more useful. And, you know, I'll, I'll get a bed box on my pickup truck so I can keep my tools in there without getting them ripped off. And, and I just started kind of pecking away at it. And, you know, it worked. I, I made my way inside the house and found myself, you know, swinging a hammer more than pushing a shovel or pickaxe and started like slowly, you know, come on to like start to learn a skill. I was just trying to get a skill down. And, you know, I would do some outside weekend jobs for people. And, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't really that skilled. I mean, 
probably takes, you know, a decade of doing it to really sort of become a carpenter. But two or three years in, I had enough skill to like pick up a little outside work on the weekends. And I I, I would just hustle trying to, trying to survive. And I did it for about, I did about two or three years of that. And then I kind of had a moment where I, I sort of thought, well, let's, you know, sit down and evaluate and try to be realistic here. And I was just in my kitchen in my apartment and it was some night and I was just sort of sitting there and I went, well, look, what are you, what are you good at? Cause you know, we know they used to be good at football that that's no longer in play. And you know, you're not, you're just not going to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. But, but what it, what are you? And I thought, well, I'm good. Like I'm crafty. I'm good with my hands. I like building. I like, I like putting things together. I like mechanical things. All right. So check that box. You're, you're already doing that essentially. And I thought, well, what else? And I was like, well, you're a good talker. You're funny. You're a funny guy. And so I thought, all right, well, that's, that's something that sounds like it could be a better career and maybe they could make some more money and you know you could work inside have some air conditioning you know have a cup of coffee at your desk you know you could sit down you could have a chair you know you know when you work construction you don't have a chair or desk or a phone you can't make phone calls like everything just you're outside it's hot it's cold it's raining it's whatever it's just it all sucks so i thought well you know having some sort of job where like i was thinking in terms of like sitting in a in a room and you're working on funny greeting cards and and you and a couple of guys are like spitballing some jokes and then you can't i can't type and i can't spell so it's not going to work to have me like working as a writer for a sitcom or something because you can't write can't physically write but what if you're just kind of the idea guy in the room you know making people laugh and throwing out ideas and i thought that sounds that sounds like a great job but i I don't really know what that job is like i what is that i don't know anybody in that business or i don't know anyone in any kind of white collar world but i i thought how old were you at this point by the way when you were going through this it's probably 22 maybe 23 I thought, all right, yeah. well, well, why don't you start working at it? So I started asking, you know, I found a, a mother of a friend of mine and, and she was a creative type and her husband was like a creative type, like a musician. Yeah. And she'd done some stuff in the past with comedy or music or something. And, but she was just like, she was a Jewish lady, lived up in the hills and was in the, in the world of, of the arts, you know. Yeah. And uh, I said, uh, what, what do you think? You, wh- what should I do? And she said, well, go down and, and take a groundlings class. And yep. so I, you know, I didn't know what the groundlings were, what, you know, she said, go over there, you know, go on a Saturday night, buy a ticket, watch a show and then see what you think, you know? And I watched a show on a Saturday night and I thought, oh, well, that's cool. Uh, yeah. That up on stage, making stuff up, you know, improvising, not having to read or write or memorize a script or anything, just kind of on your feet, you you know, cracking wise. Like I thought, oh yeah, I could, I could get into that. So, um, I signed up the next day for like, you know, beginning groundling class. <laughs> That's amazing. And so tell me how that led into what, where that lead next. How long did you do that for? I worked my way through the groundlings until advanced. And then they kicked me out. They said, you're not, you're not going to be in the Sunday show. So, how, how, okay, let's talk about that. They decided they didn't want you in their Sunday show. Well, they only would have taken maybe three, maybe four people out of maybe 14 or 16 people. So 
So, you know, the odds weren't in your favor. I was funny. I was always funny, but I didn't have any acting chops or, you know, I didn't have any stage presence. You know, I wasn't really a good actor or performer. I was just funny and funny enough. Funny kind of got me so far, but it didn't really get me to the next level. And most of the folks that I was with, you know, they went to they went to college. There were theater majors and drama majors and, you know, they knew stage left and upstage and backstage, downstage. I didn't know any of that stuff. I was just like kind of working construction all day and then showing up, you know, and, you know, they'd say, you know, we're going to do an improv and we're going to do it in the style of William Shakespeare. So here we go. Give us a location. And I was like, I have, I don't know any, I don't know what that style would be. I can't fake that. I've never read a Shakespeare play and, or mammoth, you know, and I didn't know anything. So I was, I was kind of fish out of water. And I got booted out and I just kind of went into a little bit of a depression for a while and it's like, oh, where do I go now? And then I, I started up with a, a new, a new comedy sketch comedy club called Acme. And I got in over there kind of on the ground floor. And even though it was nothing, it was still like, well, can't kick me out because I'm a founding member. I got here first night, you know, I answered the ad in the drama log, you know. Perfect. And so how, so you were doing comedy while still working construction. And at what point did you sort of be, you get that first job, that first gig that started paying? I was doing, you know, some open mics and some stuff like that. Started teaching some comedy traffic school on weekends. You know, that was kind of my first paying gig, just getting 80, 85 bucks a weekend for doing, you know, eight hours of comedy traffic school. And so I started getting experience and kind of got my feet under me, like in front of a crowd and comedy hmm? traffic school. You mean like people going to traffic school and you just made it a little more fun since they they, had to go through it because they they had, yeah, Yeah. they had comedy traffic school (laughs) back then. And, uh, and, and I learned and I kind of was able to, you know, talk in front of a group and did a few open mics and stuff like that. But I just really wasn't having any success. And I'd always wanted to get into radio. I always thought, Oh, how great would that be? I would listen to the radio on the construction sites. You know, I got up in the morning, got my truck at six 30 in the morning. I would listen to FM morning shows, the morning teams, you know, Kevin and Bean and Mark and Brian and Howard Stern. And I would listen to all these guys and laughing and shooting the breeze. And I thought, oh, man, I I could really fit in in this environment. But I didn't know anybody or where the building was or anything. And at some point when I was just a few weeks from my 30th birthday and it sort of came became, you know, when I was 22 and I was in my kitchen, I said to myself, just give it until you're 30, just just until you're 30, man. Like you can fuck around all you want in your 20s, but just see if you can train and, and maybe by the time you're 30, something will happen. You'll, you'll be ready at least. You'll have some experience, some training, you know, and I was on the slow boat. I was like, all right, you got eight years to work this out. And um, I was turning 30 and, and probably about six weeks and it, it just clearly it hadn't worked out i i did i did all the training i worked at it pretty hard and it just wasn't coming together but i had branched out into uh being a boxing coach part-time at like one of these white collar boxing places just because i always liked boxing and it was kind of something mm-hmm. physical and again for me it's like i could be indoors have some air conditioning be up on my feet talk to my students yep. make them laugh you know teach them a little technique like i was like oh, this is better than you know moving sheets of drywall on a construction yep. site and um i was driving over the hill and i was going to deliver an entertainment unit i'd built for a woman who was a writer for 
Seinfeld. And uh, and I heard him, uh, I heard Kevin and Bean on K-Rock talking about, oh, we're going to have a boxing match and we're going to have Michael the maintenance man. He's going to fight Jimmy the sports guy. And we need trainers and we need equipment. We need a venue. Like, you know, if you're listening and you're, you're a boxing trainer. And I was like, oh, shit, man. I got to get in on this. And uh, I didn't have a cell phone or anything. So, you know, I got to the, my client's house, asked her if I could use the phone, you know, called in, you know, got the message machine, left a message, you know, no call back and then left another message you know, the next day. After about the fifth message, I was like, I- I'm showing up. Yeah. So I-, I went out to the radio station at like 630 in the morning before my morning boxing class probably started at seven or something. The building was locked. It was like a commercial building. Said it opened at seven. I was like, oh, okay, I got to go teach my boxing class. And the, the next day, I got a guy to cover my class. I, w- I went back there at seven in the morning. I got into the building. is is like uh, K-Rocks on on floor nine. Went up to K-Rock, went up to the K-Rock suite. K-Rock was closed. Their suite didn't open until 9 a.m. And uh, But I knew Kevin and Bean were in there somewhere, like uh, in the studio, but you get a key card and you don't, um, the building's locked, you know, the suite's locked. And I was just sort of standing out by the elevator, kind of thinking, what do I do? Should I hang out by the elevator or maybe head down for a couple hours and drink a cup of coffee and then come back at nine or, and then uh, some guy got off the elevator and he was heading in, like, you know, he had a key card and I was like, Oh, Hey, you're going into K rock. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm a boxing coach and, and they've been looking for a boxing coach and I'm, I'm just going to wait out by the elevator. But, it, but could you tell whoever's in there, just tell them there's a boxing coach just hanging out by the elevator. And he's like, yeah, okay. And he went in and I don't know, it was a while. It was, you know, 20 minutes went by. I was just standing by the elevator. I didn't know if the guy was ever, I didn't know who the guy was or what his plan was, but at some point, uh, Jimmy Kimmel just came out and, uh, he, he was, uh, Jimmy, the sports guy, you know? Yeah. And he just said, are you the boxing coach? And I said, Said, yeah and he said okay i said you, you want me to train you to box and he said yeah and i said okay you know when do you want to start and he said i don't know today and i said yeah we'll, we'll do it and he said yeah okay i said oh, okay here's you know the gyms in pasadena be there at noon you know or be there whenever you want to be there and I'll, I'll be waiting in the parking lot and uh, there it was that's amazing so i we only have a couple more minutes so i'm going to have to sprint through the second half of this but how did that lead to the next thing the next thing i got to just know the chain here and then i have a couple last questions for you he was pretty quick to understand that i was funny uh-huh. and he was like you're really funny and i'm like glad you think so because i'm not just a boxing coach I, I would like to be doing some comedy you know and yeah. he was like all right i I think I can try to help you, you know, do that. He wasn't, you know, he didn't have a lot of social standing at the radio station. He was pretty low on the totem pole back then, but he's like, I'll help you get in. And, uh, he helped me get in. And as soon as I got in, it just, I just took over. I was, it was just pow demand signed by William Morris. Everyone yep. loved me. Crazy phenomenon. <laughs> it just happened awesome. like that. And then how did the man show come to be? Cause that happened next, correct? Uh, love line happened next for me. Okay. And then, uh, the man show, you know, it's just me and Jimmy hanging around, you know, we'd yep. have, we, we, we do the morning show and then we'd go out, we'd go have lunch every day and we'd just, yep be sitting there just dreaming about something we could do you know what what about us you know we're sidekicks on a local morning show what about our own thing what what could we do could we do a radio show together we could do a tv show together you know no one cared no one was interested but we were like i think we could do something together and that was just a plan 
And the man show just came from that plan. Got it. And then, so it's pretty incredible how that just happened through hearing a big job or an ad for needing a boxing coach and how that came to be. So fast forward, obviously you've built, you know, you have the number one podcast in history. You've built an amazing radio career, TV career. What's next for you? What do you think is coming down the line? What's, what's exciting for you in the next five years? I don't know. I don't, um, I don't really think that way. I write books. I, I make documentaries. I make occasional films, podcasts, stand up, building projects, car, <laughs> car projects. You know, I just get up, you know, and just kind of go to work. I, I don't really think about yep. what's next. I've, I've done and kind of am doing most everything. So it's not like I have this yearning to do a romantic comedy. I've already done it or make a doc. I've, I've done that. It's just, I just get up and go to work. I, I, I do lots of different projects all the time and it's pretty, pretty fulfilling. So last question for anyone trying to pursue their own dreams. What's one piece of advice you either did get or wish you got that you think people need to hear as they're trying to pursue whatever that might be? I, I never really got advice from anybody, but I think for me, I always sort of get back to. Let's figure out sort of what you do, what you would be doing if you weren't getting paid. You know, what is yep. it? What is it that you just do in your sort of homeostasis state? You know, if you had a Saturday and nothing to do, what would you find yourself doing? And if it could be cooking, it could be out in the garage building woodworking. You know what I mean? Like, that's a yep. clue. Or, you know, maybe you're online trading, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, that, that's a kind of an indicator of what you probably sh- would want to do or could do. And then the other aspect of that is be realistic, you know, like understand when it's time that you, you can't play football anymore. I don't care if that's your dream, you know, so what? It's your dream. It's your dream and everyone else's dream. You're not good enough, you know, yeah. but, but be realistic. I, you know, I was like, I didn't have any support or family support or anything. I was just like, look, I'm objectively funny. I understand that. I'm not beating myself up. I don't have high self-esteem. I don't have low self-esteem. I'm literally just measuring my ability. And I'm driving my truck to Simi Valley, and I'm listening to these morning show guys, and I know I'm funnier than they are. I'm not blowing smoke up my own ass. I know it. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to take over their morning show slot, but I am being realistic about my abilities, both good and bad. Yep. Self-awareness. It's huge. Well, Adam, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on Hawk Talk. Thanks, Eric. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.